Welcome back. Welcome back to An Athlete's Journey. I'm your host, Travis Reed. We got a special guest over here, the king of NBA Twitter. But just, to, <laughs> <laughs> just to go back, like to show you how old I am, I used to play with his older brother, which is insane. Um, a friend of mine, real good dude, Josiah Johnson. Welcome to the show, man. Appreciate it. What's going on, bro? Appreciate you having me on here. I, I remember them good old days at Crenshaw, UCLA. <laughs> seeing you do work. <laughs> I was like, yeah, man, your, uh, your brother, like I said, Chris is the only dude that played with me in high school and in college, which is insane, man. <laughs> for sure, for sure. You know what I'm saying? So anyway, let's get right into it. Let's get right into it, man. How did your basketball journey start? Uh, you know, well, shit, shit, being a Johnson in LA, you know, your last name Johnson, you gotta, you gotta be a Hooper. And that's just kind of what it is. So, uh, for me, uh, I think, so my mom and dad got married when I was like three or four, we were living on the East coast. We moved out to, uh, LA from New Jersey when he got traded from the bucks to the Clippers. But uh, I remember, uh, he came back from an all-star weekend in Dallas and, uh, picked us, we picked him up from the airport LAX. This is back in the days, obviously when you could pull up on LAX with, with no issues, and uh, he had this big mini Nerf hoop for me uh, at the crib. So he brought that back from All-Star Weekend. And me and Chris, my older brother, we uh, we wore that thing out, man. We had this little foam ball that we played with. And, uh, you know, back in the day, it was like foam, but it was like almost regulation size. But as you would as you would use it, the wear and tear, the foam would start popping off. So, you know, it got to the point where there were just big holes and divots all in the foam. And uh, we just had to rip it off and throw that thing away. But me and Chris would play in our, our den. We would play full court. I'd have the uh, the Nerf hoop. He'd have, like, a little mini basket uh, stuck to the door. We'd just be going at each other, being being various different dudes around the league. Like, I remember at one point it was, like, you know, Dennis Scott and Kenny Anderson or whoever it would be at those points. You know, I'll, I'll be Nick Anderson every once in a while from in the Georgia Tech days. <laughs> But, uh, you know, like Hank Gathers, too, I uh, rest in peace. Like, you know, just, just playing different characters, going at each other. So we're just immersed in the world then. Obviously, was was fortunate and blessed to come up in the L.A. basketball scene and just have a lot of great coaches playing at spots like the Inglewood Y, playing with Slam and Jam in Victoria Park with uh, Michael O'Quinn Sr., uh, you know, and just that whole crew, you know, uh, playing with the 4D stars, Ray Ronaldo, who's the, the coach of that, but playing with guys like, you know, Diallo Washington, who played at Crenshaw, uh, Andrew Zahn and Adam Zahn. Andrew was a big 6'4", like 12-year-old on our, our 11, <laughs> left 6'4", 11-year-old. He, you know, so every time I see him, we're like the same size now, but I look at uh, big Zahn and it's like, I still remember us as kids, me being like four feet tall, him being like six, he was like Shaq. <laughs> and his little brother, Adam, who ended up, uh, you know, being like six, seven as well. Andrew played at Arizona. Adam was at Oregon. But um, just a whole crew of, just L.A. legends playing with guys like E.J. Harris and Tommy Johnson, who both went to Crenshaw. You know, mm -hmm. Steve, Steve Johnson, who, who went to was at UCLA with me, too. It was a great hooper. Steve Moore, who uh, played at Santa Monica with Arizona State. So just just being immersed in that world, that that culture, just, just the game and playing with so many great talented people. A bunch of different programs. Our program hopped for a little bit, so I was playing all over. So, But just just got a lot of, a lot of training, a lot of schooling. In, and like I said, I'm thankful and blessed to be, be a part of the, the L.A. hooper community. Oh, no, trust me, man. I hear you. That's how, like you were saying, uh, Zion was like six foot. That's how Jason and Jaron Collins was. They were both like six seven when uh, when I joined them up at uh, as ARC. So okay, I remember yeah. like ARC too. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, that's when, that's when Baron was like five two, but still could score, do all that. 
Um, but yeah, Jason and Jaren was like big. They were already bigger than everybody else at that age group. So yeah, man, that's good. You know what I'm saying? Um, so you was there any other sports you thought about playing uh, growing up? So I was trash at a uh, baseball. My older brother Chris was, was nice at it, but I, I I can never get the hang of that. Uh, played a little bit of tennis too. I got I got tennis lessons when I was younger. Actually played at Crenshaw when I was there in ninth to tenth grade. Played on the varsity team. Uh, you know, singles and doubles. But I, I was trash at that too as I got older. I think if I were to pursue it, and took it took it more serious maybe. Uh, golf a little bit. Our, our pops had us at like the the par three courses as kids out there. You know, doing work, but. No, nah, I mean, it was pretty much always just basketball. I think basketball kind of dominated everything. My mom would never let me play football, so I could play flag, but she wouldn't let me play tackle. But I feel like I could have been like a nice, like Byron Leftwich type out there playing QB <laughs> if, uh, you know, she would have let me cook there. But, yeah, so basketball was kind of kind of the, the primary thing. Like I said, you know, growing up, uh, you know, you're, when your dad is Marcus Johnson, everything he's meant to just the game and the L.A. hoop scene in the community, it was, it was pretty much a foregone conclusion that we were going to be playing basketball in, this, in the house. <laughs> No, I got you. I can respect that. And like you said, um, I think, you know, you said you kind of hopped from team to team growing up, slamming jam, other teams. And I think for myself, I was I was hopping in between mostly ARC, but I did hop on K-Swiss a couple of times. Yeah, you know, K-Swiss was – shout out to that. You know, K-Swiss, yeah, I was on that squad. <laughs> so I played with, uh, with, with K-Swiss. I was at 4D, went over to K-Swiss, was playing with EJ and Tommy and, and the rest of that crew. Jamal Sampson was on the younger team, uh, you know, but but Baron uh, Bean and, uh, you know, Paul Pierce was on the older squads. I remember uh, we mm -hmm. went to Vegas one year when I was young and uh, they flew KG in to play with Paul. And this was back in the day. Like, that's pretty normal now. But I remember Kevin uh, KG was even larger than life as, as a kid back then. So being like 11, mm -hmm. 12 years old, seeing him in real life, just like, you know, this dude that you, you've seen in the magazines and heard about and just – Everybody knew who, who KG was. I, I think, you know, just watching watching their games and watching them do work in Vegas and just looking at the older squad. And BD was on a, the younger team with uh, with Bean and his dad crew. So we would play our games and go see their games. And, you know, this was the old days. We were staying at, like, you know, Circus Circus and Jackie Hotels. Like, <laughs> yeah. Now the Westgate, I think. But, you know, staying at, staying at Janky spots. When we were kids, we didn't know the difference. Like, for us, Circus Circus was great because, you know, at, at night all the kids would go walk around. The arcade area. No, that's the only thing you do. And nobody yeah, really had yeah. no bread. So, you know, if you had bread, you know, if you were like a, a Paul Pierce or a BD, obviously you were getting blessed and laced and you had some bread to go play games and stuff. And uh, even though my dad was in the league, he would just send me with like some food money. I wouldn't really have a lot to go move and shake with. So we just walk in circles, you know, with every other team out there, just walking in circles, nothing else to do as kids. But, you know, I, I remember those days. Those were the good old days. No, the funny thing is that's exactly what the first time I met your older brothers at Circus Circus. I was, in eighth, I was in the eighth grade. He was in the 11th. And he came up to me. I was playing like NBA Jam or something. And he asked me, was I going to Crenshaw the next year? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm going. <laughs> so, yeah, I remember those days. We stayed at Alexis Park. So it was even yeah, off the yeah, strip. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> he, he played with uh, he played with like Bob Gottlieb growing up and uh, Doug and, and Jr. and crew, but they would be at Alexis Park too, and that was like that was that was baller status back then. Yeah, yeah, that's what we stayed like. ARC was like you know Alexis Park all the time, so that's what we stayed yeah. all the time too. All right, so uh, you, you, you obviously playing in travel ball, you growing up through travel ball. So in high school, was there any other choice besides the show? So yeah, I was so. I, I was a late bloomer. I was at Crenshaw. I was like a five, seven freshman. And uh, looking back on it, 
probably should have stayed back, you know, just to give myself a chance to grow a little bit. But I, ultimately, I'm not mad that, that I didn't. But uh, it was like five, seven freshmen. So I remember trying to try out for the, for the JV and varsity team. And I'm just getting smoked, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm over. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm pudgy at that point. I'm a late bloomer, like I said. I barely had any, you know, pubic hair or any of that type of shit. I'm just like a fucking <laughs> scrawny little kid getting just smacked by these grown ass men. They had like Big Ant Garrison and, you know, all types of just legends. Akbar Gajabi Miller was on the squad too, football and basketball. You know, just that whole crew. Uh, Bean was a, a senior my freshman year. So just just seeing that whole crew, everybody treated me good, but it was just like, yeah, there was no way I was going to hang in Coach West's program. Grew a little bit my sophomore year, so I uh, played like sophomores my freshman year, played JV my sophomore year, then I hit a growth spurt. And at that point, the, the squad was just loaded, and it was like it was way too many big dudes. It was like five or six dudes who were like 6'8", 6 on the squad, and I wouldn't really got to play till I was a senior. So I ended up uh, transferring. Basically, my brother, uh, my older brother Chris, went to Montclair Prep for ninth and 10th grade, Crenshaw for 11th and 12th. I went to Crenshaw for ninth and 10th, Montclair Prep for 11th to 12th. His coach, who was my coach in high, Bob Webb, who's a teammate of my dad at UCLA's, and ended up getting the uh, the head coaching job back. Was like, look, you come out here, I'm going to let you play the whole game and kind of really be able to do whatever you want. So it, that, that was too hard to pass up, so I made the trek. It was crazy. It's kind of like, you know, you watch the show All-American, kind of doing the All-American thing, going from Crenshaw <laughs> to Prep. You know, going, going to school with people like uh, Nicole Ritchie and just, you know, all types of just – Legends on the Montclair Prep side, and just being on being on that campus, but it was it was a little culture shock, but definitely a great experience, and I, I'm happy I was able to do it. No, definitely, definitely, man. Uh, like I said, I think that's the, the good thing about it. I always my dad had to do that to me because I went to Crenshaw, obviously with your brother, one state, and one all that, and then my dad took me out, and I was like so upset, man, like crying, like he took me out and brought me out to Fontana. And I was like, there ain't no scouts going to yeah. see me in Montana. He was like, Fontana. I was like, that's even worse. <laughs> I ain't never heard of like, Montana, man. <laughs> you oh, know? So, you already know. You know that's a, I, I, the funny thing, I was about to go there with Corey. Uh, he was a junior. I was a senior. And, uh, I mean, I'm sorry. He was a senior. I was a junior. And then I'm going to yeah. the other school in Fontana with my cousin. So, you know, whatever school my What's cousin cool? was going to. That's A.B. Miller. Yep, I already know. I was gonna say, "Hey, you're right." I'm out here messing up, but I know I know it was one of them A initial schools, A B Miller. <laughs> yeah, it was like when I was there, it was only like four or five years old. You know, it was really it was built like okay. in '91, '92. So like you okay. know, we literally was like the brand new you know brand new kids when I went out there, and so uh, yeah, man. Like I said, I thought Corey always he gets mad at me all the time talking about we could have had a dynasty, man, but you messed it up, <laughs> you and your cousin. Yeah, so, yeah. but anyway, so you go to Montclair Prep, but obviously your game develops. You become a good player. Uh, was there any other schools besides UCLA recruiting you? Yeah, so I was getting I was getting heavily recruited by a bunch of Ivy League schools. So I was actually going to go to a uh, school called Brown in, in Providence, Rhode Island, just because of the bread factor. They basically, you know, it was an Ivy League school. It basically was like, yo, if you come here, you're going to be making like 150 racks, 200 racks out of, out of college. You can pick your own class schedule and all this other stuff. But uh, thankfully, it was there, and then also Xavier in Ohio. So Skip Prosser, uh, who rest in peace, who was a coach at Wake Forest, I believe Coach Chris Paul over there, he was recruiting me kind of heavy. And I was was thinking about following that same Austin Crozier trajectory where Austin went to a crossroads and ended up going to Providence just to get, get out of L.A., get away from everything, be able to really just concentrate and work on your game, going to a spot that obviously isn't as turned up as L.A. 
but uh, ended up UCLA came came late. Coach Lav came late in the recruiting process. I think I took a trip up there in like February ish. Uh, commit committed on the spot was just you know super amped and excited. Uh, Ray Young was uh, for, for people who know two way Ray, the living legend from UCLA. Ray Young was my host. Sean Farnham was my host for the for the two nights I was out there and just had a great time. Sean and Ty Ramazar lived together, so they really took care of me and uh, just had me out there living the life. Uh, and just it was you couldn't pass up being a Bruin. All right, trust me, I hear you, man. I mean, my last, uh, I guess my top three was UCLA, Arizona, Long Beach State. And I committed to Arizona when uh, Herrick got, uh, when Herrick, you know, had his little, you know, run in with NCAA. And I thought I was going to end up to go to Arizona. Then Lav came back, was like, Trap, we want you. I was like, done deal. You yeah. know, UCLA was always the school. I know if they was going to recruit me, I was definitely uh, wanting to go there. Um, but let's rewind right quick. Uh, I didn't get a chance to ask you. Obviously, going from Crenshaw to Harvard Westlake, I mean, Harvard Westlake, you know, Montclair Prep, what was your biggest triumph, like, you know, your biggest victory in, in high school? Uh, man, just, just, I think I was, uh, what was it, like, honorable mention, uh, USA Today All American. So just, just doing things like that, man. The squad, the squad was okay. We were, we were kind of, we weren't, we weren't, we weren't great, but we got things done. But I was able to average, I think, my senior year, like twenty-four and thirteen or something like that, and just put in a lot of work. And was still kind of growing and developing at that point. But just to be on that team full of dudes, man, we had a, we had a lot of great dudes there. We played uh, played against a lot of a lot of a lot of solid teams, a lot of guys who went on to the college and the league and stuff. So just just being a part of that, man, and, and being at Crenshaw, you know, the same thing. Like it was just a, a tremendous experience being playing under Coach West, Mo Duck. This was when I was at Crenshaw, Coach West actually, he, he was coaching varsity obviously the whole time. He wasn't really messing with JV for a while, but he came back and coached JV when I was there. So he basically did the double duty, was coaching JV and varsity at that point. But just being around those guys, and I think they won state the two years I was there, if I'm not mistaken. But, you know, guys like being <laughs> Kevin Bradley, who's one of, one of the best leaders, best, you know, got to give it up. But, yeah, for me it was just honestly getting, getting that scholarship to UCLA and being a part of – that squad and being able to play with, with Coach Webb and then uh, Coach Greg Patterson and Howard Abrams who took over the following year, and uh, just 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 being able to, to to ball out and then ended up being uh, played in an All Star Game Battle of the Valley, which uh, is, is legendary around these parts. Played at CSUN, ended up being MVP of that game. Hit like four or five threes in the game. Just just went ham. Had uh, you know some of the UCLA coaches in the crowd, so that was that was a great feeling as well. Just kind of getting ready to, to 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 go to Westwood after my high school career was over. Okay, well, that's pretty good. Like I said, that's that's real good. <laughs> you know, I was I wanted to ask you that. You know, I forgot that. I was like, oh man, let me ask him about his biggest triumph. So your own, obviously, UCLA, where you got all this tradition, all this pressure for being, you know, not only Marcus Johnson's son, but Chris Johnson's little brother, and all these expectations, right? So how was that first year of college? Uh, so first year w w was kind of trash, to be honest with you. Uh, I ended up uh, – I had a stress fracture in my foot early in the season that I feel like, you know, it kind of derailed the whole rest of my college career. I was out for like two or three months, obviously. This was like first practice, ended up hurting my foot. Uh, ain't going to call out no names or anything, but the, the foot felt messed up. I'm telling telling the training staff that, and they kind of had me like put like the little metal thing on my shoe and go out there and keep practicing. And I think it, it, probably, it probably made it a little bit worse. So I ended up missing like two or three months from that first season, put on a little weight. And uh, from there was just trying to play catch up. So ended up red shirting my whole first season. And then, uh, you know, 
for the rest of it, it's kind of to always tell people like, you know, you come out there with, with huge aspirations, but then I'm playing on the squad. I ended up playing with like 13 or 14 pros and you could definitely see the difference between the pros bodies and my body. So, uh, you know, playing with guys like Dan Gazarich, Matt Barnes, playing with guys like Earl Watson, Jason Capono, uh, Trevor Ariza, Dijon Thompson, Cedric Bozeman, all types of just, just legendary dudes, but kind of found my place in the pecking order. And, and, and do I wish I would have played more? Yeah, of course. But that wasn't the, uh, the journey that my basketball career was going to be on, but just really tried to excel as much as I could try to be as, as good of a role player as I could try to excel in the classroom. I think I won like the academic award two or three times. We really just try, try and kill it in the classroom, raise the team GPA up. But being on that, being on that squad with, with, with coach Lavin and, and Ben Howland, who took over for after Lav got, uh, you know, let go, just, just being around those guys and, and being a part of that UCLA fraternity and basketball brotherhood is something I, I don't ever, you know, take lightly or take for granted. No, that makes a lot of sense, man. Uh, you know, UCLA is like a different, it's a different level of basketball on the West, especially on the West coast. You know, like it's, it's like you got the, all these legends from the back in the day, you got legends currently. And usually if you're playing at UCLA, you've got one or two NBA guys that you're playing with minimum every year. You know? yep. And in the two years I played, I played with eight, eight NBA guys. Uh, and obviously myself and Billy playing overseas, so basically ten professionals in just yeah. the two years I played. You know, like you said, Earl, Baron, Jer Jerome, Dan, Matt, Toby, Jr., Jelani. You know, and then me and myself and Billy. You know, me and Billy got rested, so played overseas. So yeah, uh, definitely, definitely uh, understand that. So your college career, uh, I know you wanted to play more. You know, um, you played obviously four years in UCLA. You graduate. Now, what's what happens after that? So I had the option. So my grandmother is uh, from France. So I had the option to get French citizenship. Could have probably played over there, you know, play pro a little bit. But I'd seen just the way my older brother, Chris, who would bounce around. He played in like six or seven different countries. He'd be gone seven, eight months out the year. He would come back summertime. We'd be able to get the work in. But then it was always just like, yo, I'm going to Lebanon. I'm going to Qatar. I'm going to Turkey or I'm going to Russia. You know, and it's just like. And this is back in the day, we didn't really have the technology like we do now. We had email and stuff, so we could communicate through email. But he was a lot more, you know, he was, I'm more introverted than him. Like, so he, he can go pretty much anywhere and, and just become the man. Like, he could be, you know, he'd come back telling all these legendary stories from everywhere he'd be at. And I'm just like, I would be listening, like, ooh, I can't really, I don't want to be in no foreign country. I don't speak the language and I'm by myself for seven months out of a year. That just sounded terrible to me. So I ended up going just a different path, started working in production. So started working at a, Fox Sports out here in L.A. on, on the Pico lot, uh, Fox Studios. So was working there, working in the highlight department on the fifth floor, cutting all types of crazy highlights. So it'd be like basketball and cool sports. But then it'd also be like NASCAR, hockey, you know, a little bit of everything, but getting cultured in a bunch of different sports and working with all the different. This was back in the day when Fox had all the regional networks. So, you know, FS, FSN Arizona, you know, FS Southwest, and they still have some of them now, but they were a lot more, you know, spread out with their RSNs, with their regional sports networks, and uh, did that. They started working at NFL Network. So I started working at NFL Network like October. That's funny. It's almost like close to the anniversary. I think October 24th, 2005 was, was my first day at NFL Network. Uh, started working over there. Maybe it was the 17th. I don't even remember, but started working over there one day a week. Then that eventually expanded to like a full production assistant job there. 
was uh, at NFL Network for like 10 years. So it was a part of just like the full expansion of the network. So 2005, I think people don't remember, but it was a super small outfit at that point. We might've had like 30 or 40 employees on the production side. We were just cranking out a bunch of shows. We were all working on different shows together. And then over the next you know, five, 10 years, the network just exploded and expanded. And uh, they got the Thursday night football package. So worked on worked on that pregame, halftime, postgame shows, worked Super Bowls, drafts, combines. You know, pretty much anything the NFL had to offer, opening kickoffs. I worked a little bit of everything. So, you know, it was a great opportunity to work with. I worked with a lot of tremendous people, people like Rich Eisen, Deion Sanders, Michael Irvin, uh, Steve Mariucci, you know, Darren Horton, I think Fran Charles. I just could go down the list of all the incredible talent and amazing people that I got the chance to work with, in, you know, in addition to people behind the camera as well that have now gone on to be successful producers, you know, and, and networks all across the country. So definitely throwing in the fire there. But getting the opportunity to work for an entity as big as the National Football League isn't something I take lightly. And I definitely was grinding out, going hard there, kind of learning the ropes, but also learning that, damn, them, them long ass days, I don't really want to be a producer. I'd rather be in front of the cameraman, to be honest. Like, you know, <laughs> I'd rather work for the talent. Like, we always joke now, but like back in the day, it was kind of like Shawshank. Like, you know, it was like any institution, like, but you just knew the routine. So Sunday night, like the, the talent, like the people who are on the shows and on air, they get like the great catered meals and shit. So we'd have to basically wait, you know, I knew like right when their show went on, I could slide in the talent room and just get a nice, you know, get, snack off their food, get all their stuff. But I, 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 be, I, I became cognizant when everybody's meals was coming in all the different departments and, you know, it became a running gag between all of us lower level people who are only making like 20, 30 grand a year. You know, they're making like 500 grand to a million. Like, I'm, I'm going to at least get some snacks, get some good food out of this thing. And, and I'm going to make sure. <laughs> Same thing in college. You know, college, you learn the hustles. You learn, like, okay, you know, you can go, whatever, get somebody to swipe you with their brewing card, you know, towards the end of the quarter. You know, if people got the extra swipes on, you ask the right person, you know, they're going to get you a swipe or get you, you know, you can get the cases of soda and all that other good stuff. So you can go ahead and snack some sodas, whatever you need, some snacks, just to be able to get through. But, Nah, so it was, yep, it was a great, yep, yep. great, great work in there, man. Ton of, ton of great people I'm still friends with to this day, and I'm super thankful for that opportunity. Okay, so you actually knew when you were in college. Did you dip and dabble in college a little bit before you went to production after? So, I mean, we had always kind of, you know, I, I knew that I was going to have a career in the industry. When I grew up in L.A., I went to a, this elementary school called UES, which was on UCLA's campus. It was taking a lot of film classes there as like a 9, 10, 11-year-old. So got to hang out with some people, uh, people like Jason Schwartzman, who's now a successful, talented actor, you know, starring in movies and just being around the world and growing up in L.A. and spending a bunch of time on the different world set where, you know, my dad played with Norm Nixon, Norm's wife, Debbie Allen. Debbie was running things on a different world for, for, for I think, seasons two through five or six, whatever it was. So my mom did a bunch of extra work on the show. So I would go with her up to the set and just hang out and spend all day there. I went to school, uh, elementary school with Debbie's kids, Debbie and Norm's kids. So we would get picked up, you know, in the carpool and, and shuttled off to the, the studio where they'd be taping different worlds. So, you know, you get picked up around like three or three o'clock from school, head over to the studio. You'd be there till eight, nine, 10 o'clock at night. You know, they would tape, they would tape one episode, but they would do two different tapings. So they would have, you know, two groups of viewers come in. I don't know why, I guess just to get, make sure they got everything right. So let's say, I don't even know the times, but they would do like a, a six o'clock taping and an eight o'clock taping of the show and just being there, hanging out, being able to walk around the sets. And, you know, I remember being there for all like the, you know, the big wedding scene when uh, Kadeem Hardis' character, Dwayne Wayne and, and Whitley and, you know, all that stuff, but seeing them do like 18 takes of it. So, you know, the thing about that was the, the, those episodes would come out like six, eight weeks after the shoot. 
So we already knew what was going to happen in the wedding scene. So we'd have friends over and be watching the show. Like, I already know what's going to happen on this joint, but I'm just going to sit here and pretend like I don't. And then Chris would, master that. Chris would, Chris would be watching the show and then call out what was going to happen. Everybody think he was, you know, clairvoyant. But it's like, now we were at the table, right? We knew what was going on. I got you. I got you. Well, I guess that makes sense, man. You know, like, you know, growing up it kind of in the – in the life of, of, of acting or in the life of like being behind the scenes and getting to see that at a young age, probably you develop a passion for it yeah. to, to where like, uh, you know, like this is something I, I said, I could see myself doing that for basketball. Now, my question for you was like, was it hard to kind of give up uh, basketball, kind of go into uh, what yeah. you went into or was it yeah. like easy transition? No, it was hard, man. I think I think for any Hooper, they'll tell you just just kind of having that breakup and coming to that point. I was thankful that obviously I sucked at UCLA, so I knew a couple years in advance that all right, this is probably where my life, you know, my life ain't really gonna be hooping. So I need to start figuring things out, figure out what my next move is gonna be. But just going from you know being a player at UCLA, getting the sweatsuit, the backpack, walking around campus with a certain level of prestige and and star power, to now being the, the low man on the totem pole at an NFL network or a Fox Sports where you're a PA. Like, I wasn't getting nobody coffee or anything like that, but there was definitely a hierarchy there. But for me, I always just kind of, you know, embrace whatever my role is and, and know that the same thing I, I tell kids that get into these different industries and trying to do stuff. It's like, don't ever see yourself. You may have the job title as production assistant, but don't, don't ever see yourself as a production assistant. See yourself as whatever job you want to have and really start communicating, networking, talking to those people that are in that position, shadowing them, doing, you know, doing doing your daily day job, then also trying to figure out the job you want to do as well. So looking at that job as well. So I may be a production assistant when I'm here, but I'm also looking at the directors and the producers and everybody behind the scenes and seeing all the different stuff they're doing and seeing, you know, where I want my career to go and really, you know, allowing those people to be mentors and just asking them questions and, and being in their ear all the time. And just, it's funny. I mean, we had some super talented directors in info network and they, I was working basically graphics. So I would sit behind them in front of all like 20, 30 different monitors as they're calling all the shots out, but just studying the people like Tony McEwen, who is, uh, you know, somebody I really, really look up to people, people like, uh, you know, Gary Foreman, who is a, is a legend in the game G4, uh, that, you know, just looking at these people as they're working black men that look like myself and they have the, basically the highest position, at the company in terms of in production, like directors running things, but just how they move and shake and just learning a lot from them. Not I even really got to tell them to their face or thank them, but you know, just had a tremendous impact on my career. Okay. I mean, yeah, that's that. Man, I, I love, I love your story and the fact that, you know, you, you also, like I said, being a baller, but like kind of being sad about that, but immediately going and attacking the new, your new journey in a, in a, in a, in a way that you did when you were playing basketball, which is really good. I think that uh, a lot of people can, you know, like listen to your story and really be like, yeah, you know what I'm saying? Josiah did his thing, you know, and he played at the highest level of basketball and still was able to, you know, transition to a great, a great after career, man. You know what I'm saying? That, that's, yeah. that's crazy. You know I'm just saying? so you know, like I'm, I'm big. So I look like I played in the NFL. So I, and they gave us anybody who worked in the NFL, they gave us these ID cards with like our name and our on, you know, it had like the official NFL logo and everything. So any Super Bowl week, whatever city we pull up to, I would just pick the worst team in the league that year. So for the longest time, I would tell people I was a tight end on the Cardinals, you know, third straight ever. <laughs> we'd be able to flash, flash a little ID card, get in the club, do all kind of stuff. Then the Cardinals actually got good and went to the Super Bowl. So I had to switch it up. I couldn't I couldn't use the Cardinals no more. <laughs> I see, that's, that's funny, man. That's hella funny. That's hella funny. Okay. All right. So now you're obviously you're successful. You're successful at the NFL Network. Now what happens after that? 
So I was at NFL for uh, about 10 years. So while I was doing that, I was running a website called uh, Jersey Chase with the, some buddies of mine, Ike Williams and Quinn Hawking, were teammates of mine at UCLA, actually sat on the bench with me. We were kind of just joking around a kid during games. So uh, once once reality took hold and we had to find find some new things to do with our life, we started running this website, doing a bunch of off-kilter content and just, you know, doing doing a lot of funny stuff. I, I spots you see now like Bleacher Report or spots like SB Nation in terms of just the content like memes and even the stuff I'm, I'm successful for now we were doing a lot of that back in the day we didn't know we didn't know where we just thought it'd be funny to to slap a Mr. Miyagi face on a, on a photo with, with the crazy text bubble saying some stuff or just all that kind of stuff so we were running the website I, I was actually running Jersey Chaser and blogging from there so I put up like eight to ten articles a day talking about pretty much anything going on in the world of sports but from like a more of a funny lens more of a funny skew like my thing back then and, and even now still is like there's so many people who weren't really athletes that that work in sports space so they have this really condescending negative view of athletes so everything is always framed from the lens of you know even back when we were in college i look at the nil stuff they got going on now where these kids can make money for their name image and likeness like you know if you would have said something like that five ten years ago you know, people would have told you were crazy or told you how dare you. You should just be happy to have a scholarship, all that other, you know, mm -hmm. all the other propaganda party lines they used to hit us with. Mm -hmm. So I, I was coming in just from the standpoint of, you know, somebody like a Reggie Bush who went to SC. But, you know, just the, the stranglehold that Reggie had on L.A. at the time, everybody rocking number five SC. And, you know, and, and he gets kind of caught up for the situation. I think with his family, they had a crib in, in San Diego, whatever it was. He gets like stripped of his Heisman, things like that. Stuff like that really irked and bothered me just the way that he was painted in the media. Meanwhile, SC is making millions and millions of dollars. So, yeah, they might have had to forfeit some games or whatever, but they ain't getting back. They ain't giving back none of the bread from all them jerseys they sold. And it was just kind of this double standard with athletes. So I think when we started that site, it was really more to, to, to have, you know, to post things from the lens of the athlete, be supportive of athletes. And that's something I still carry with me to this day. So I was doing that. And then from that was blessed and fortunate. Uh, we did a bunch of content that performed really well online, got the attention of a couple guys that worked in the TV industry. They reached out to us. They were working on an animated project. Uh, initially, they were trying to do something on LeBron that was like, uh, you know, Fat Albert and the Cosby kids in tone. We kind of politely told them that, you know, that probably wouldn't, wouldn't rock well with just our the way we moved and shaked and our sensibilities and, and what we, you know, how, how crazy and out of pocket we were with our comedy. So we ended up uh, pitching them an idea based on my experiences uh, sitting on the bench at UCLA, which turned into the show Legend of Chamberlain Heist that, that ran on Comedy Central for two seasons. So, you know, when you watch that show, even the, the pilot episode, that was literally me, Quinn, and Ike Williams just talking about the different stuff, like stuff stuff is comical. It's like, yo, should we shower after a game or not? Because we didn't play. Like, these are things like, <laughs> as a hooper, you got to ask yourself, like, damn, I did. I mean, I, I broke a little sweat, but not enough to really have to warrant a shower in, you know, but that's just kind of the, the stuff we would do. So that, that thing ran for two seasons. First season we ran uh, immediately after South Park. So that was that was a cool, amazing experience. Uh, mm -hmm. Second season, they kind of put us in a janky slot. Uh, but I'm super thankful of that opportunity because that opportunity really shaped and molded me to everything I do now in social. And even back then, this was like 2015, 2016, I saw where social media was headed. I saw the type of industry it was going to become. So I really just started focusing on learning, learning the game and learning the hustle and really immerse myself in that. And now I like to joke that I got a, a PhD in social as a result of that. So it was a lot of stuff, you know, you, you learn about the TV game, a lot of grimy stuff, a lot of janky shady stuff all the, the stories you hear a lot of them are very true and then you know the, the crazy part is you know people will do you dirty on that side but they'll do it with a smile they'll you know be patting you on the back and smiling as they're they're doing you dirty so you know when you're naive and you're young you didn't realize what's going on but like i said i'm blessed and thankful that they had that opportunity to learn so much about social and that really helped translate 
to everything I'm doing now currently and all the success that I've experienced on that side. No, definitely, man. And like successful, successful, you are very successful, you know. Um, I had to ask you, how did you get the the King NBA Twitter, uh, you know, nickname? Well, man, I, like it's funny people will say that, and I don't really like saying that. I just don't believe in those type of time. I know who my my kings of, of, of Twitter and NBA Twitter are. I look at guys like Dragonfly Jones, guys like Jethro Jenkins, guys like you know Mero. And those are the people that really got into that world and wrote me into kind of social. But I just started did a lot of ton of market research, ton of trial and error. And the thing is, like, social media is kind of like being a stand-up comedian from the sense of, like, you're doing it digitally, right? But, you you know, you put up a meme or you put up a joke, you put up something, and people will let you know right away if they're rolling with it or not. So I had a lot of, you know, everybody sees all the, the great stuff now, but that's the same as being a hooper. You learn, like, all right, I got sometimes I got a pump fake, I got a jab step, I got to do whatever to, you know, depending on who I'm going up against to be able to get a bucket. So that's how I operate when I'm on social media. I'm always just trying to get buckets and, you know, trying to put out stuff that people like, people, you know. Being a hooper, especially on social, people get so caught up in these debates and we'll be going at each other and really start bickering. And for me, it's like, look, man, I'm not getting no bread from any of these teams. So I'm not going to sit up here arguing and debating just the intricacies and nuances of basketball. That, that shit sounds terrible to me. So I'm going to get these jokes off. I'm going to have more of a locker room type of experience. Like you in the locker room, guys are cracking jokes. Guys are keeping the mood light, you know, especially like, you know, you know early in the season when you've got the double days and you know, ain't got no games in sight. And it's like 30 days of practice for your first game. You got to keep the mood light, keep the jokes flying, just keep everybody, you know, engaged mentally. So that's the approach I really try to have with social from that standpoint. But just just put out a lot of good content, really learn learn the hustle of social. And I think a lot of people don't realize, people look at me like, oh man, anybody could do that. And I always say, well, shit, if anybody could do it, tell them to go ahead and do it. Because if, if it's that easy, then, you know, maybe I'm tripping. So, everybody would do it. Everybody would yeah, do it, yeah. Exactly. And then that's where the conversation ends. And you, you talk whatever shit you want until it's time to go out and get numbers. Same thing with hoop. Like, oh, shit, anybody can go get buckets. All right, here's a ball. Go get a bucket. Like, you know, if, if you can really do it, you'll go do it. But just learning that hustle, man, and, and working for a lot of different companies in the digital space. And like I said, working on Legend of Chamberlain Heights and getting the opportunity there to run the social account for, for the page. And I just did a, a, t a deep dive, man. And it's funny, if you ask anybody from back in those days, I always had the computer or the phone with me. And I'm doing two voices on the show. I'm writing on the show. I'm doing all types of stuff. But I always had the computer going, trying to build the following. I just seen the way that shows like Game of Thrones and, and Insecure have been able to utilize social media and even look at Insecure now and, you know, stranglehold on social media when you know on sunday nights when that show dropped everybody's talking about us so i was like look if we can get this show in the conversation on social we'll, we'll be able to get viewers and this is you know 2016 2017 when a lot of people are cord cutting they're not watching cable like they used to and everything is happening online and that's what you always preach a lot of people didn't listen to me some did not enough you know when i would tell them just like yo social is the way we need to focus our energy on this is how people move and shake and look, I can be sitting here in my underwear at home and I could put a tweet up and that thing could get a million views. You know what I mean? And I, I, I like to joke and kid with a lot of these companies like you, you guys can have multi-million dollar budgets, team full of 10 to 15 people that have this snazzy title and that snazzy title. And I'm running laps around you at the crib with two kids jumping all over me with an Internet connection. Because <laughs> that's all I need. I don't need those millions of dollars. Because at the end of the day, if you're not creative, if you don't know the grind and the hustle and you're trying to cheat the grind with, with, with additional resources, that's not the way the social works. People, you know, I think people are learning that and they've had to learn it the hard way. And that's why I've been able to sustain. So I don't like I said, I don't like just to call myself the king of, of anything. I just, I just like to go out. And I, I believe once you start drinking your own Kool-Aid, believe in your own hype, that's when you set yourself up for failure. Failure. That's when you set yourself up for a fall 
you know, you know, I watch a ton of mob movies and, and Game of Thrones and King movies. As soon as people start patting themselves <laughs> on the back, thinking shit is sweet, that's when they get knocked off. So for me, I always just keep the grind. I really appreciate when people say that. You know, I have people like LeBron James call me the GOAT, and I think LeBron is the GOAT of basketball. So to hear LeBron call me the GOAT of what I'm doing, honestly, means a tremendous experience, but also just just taught me to, 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 to lock in and, and grind even harder, man, because I'm just trying to be able to support my family and also just pave, pave a trail for other people who look like me, you know, look like us to, to be able to get into this game and realize that you can be super successful and you don't have to look a certain way or have gone to a certain school or, you know, all the other stuff traditionally that, that we as black people in America have dealt with to be able to thrive in a, in a social setting. You know, once you hit social, it's, it's all hands on deck. It's millions of people going at each other and it's kind of the cream is going to rise to the top. So I always just try to be that cream and try to keep rising. No, I hear you on that, man. I hear you on that. And LeBron is second. He's second behind Kareem. Kareem okay, is one, LeBron two, Jordan three. I mean, Kareem, I think, is the universal go. People don't accept it or appreciate it. And I think Kareem is a guy who, for being tall, but it's like anybody who tried to shoot a sky hook, I don't care how tall you are. Especially <laughs> hands that big. Hard. Like, go, go to your nerf hoop and try and shoot with that little ball, a sky hook, and knock it down consistently. And then tell me, Kareem, you know, oh, he's tall. It's like, yeah, but he's knocking down sky hooks from like 15, 17 feet out with consistency that's not mm-hmm. i don't care again like yeah i mean obviously contesting this shot and all that stuff's a lot harder but there's there's a level of skill to it so look at everything kareem did from the game from high school to college to the nba yeah he's, he's the universal goat should be but when we get into the mj lebron debates and all that type of stuff no, I'm always, I'm, I'm, don't, don't get me wrong i can respect the lebron debate i think lebron is hell of a player i think that he's you know like to me he's Magic Johnson on steroids, you know. Yeah. Uh, not not on steroids, really, but just on steroids in the body. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you, you got to correct that. People are like, oh, he on yeah. steroids? No, no, no. It just you already uh, know. I, yeah, exactly. So, I definitely feel like he's a you know definitely a tremendous player, um, along with Michael and. But I just to me, this is just me. You know, Kareem had to create an unstoppable shot because he dunked so much his first year that they outlawed the dunk. I mean, Shaq didn't even dunk that much where they outlawed the dunk. So <laughs> think about how, think about how racist the game is. That it's like you're gonna literally outlaw a whole last shot. Like you can't dunk it. You got to drop it over the like. <laughs> that's like that's the lengths they went to to try and stop Kareem from dominating. Like that was gonna make it. It's kind of like you look nowadays and everybody's on Harden now because they changed the foul rules and his numbers ain't looking that great through the first couple games. Harden's going to adjust and figure out how to get buckets. Like, that's just, you know, the game the do? game carries on. You know what I mean? But f- to think about back then, because they got rid of the dunk, outlawed the dunk with Kareem, then brought the dunk back my dad's senior year. So he always likes to joke that, you know, uh, Louisville was called the Doctors of Dunk back then, and they had like 60 dunks as a team, but he had like 63 by himself. Like, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> so he was like, yo, I'm dunking on dudes. Like, and uh, it's funny, man, he just did a pod recently, but also just looking at the socioeconomic aspect of just the dunk and how dudes like back then, like, you know, black men were looking at a way to just, you know, let, let go of their anger and frustration with society and the world. And, like, what better than to be able to dunk on a white dude on the court? And, you know, there's, there's no <laughs> retribution for that. So <laughs> I got you on that. Man. I got you on that. All right. All right. So let me ask you this, uh, Josiah, man. Like, everybody kind of goes through – like low points of their, you know, career, life, whatever the case is, man. Um, for, I guess, the next Josiah that's coming, you know, in the future. How did you get out of that low – how did you get out of that low point 
and what did you do to get out of it? So I think, I mean, at the end of the day, I've had several low points when my college basketball career ended uh, when Legend of Chamberlain Heights got canceled. So I'll focus on when Legend of Chamberlain Heights got canceled. Because funny, man, I did so much work and I feel like I grinded so hard for people who could give a fuck about me. You know what I mean? And, and, and once you kind of realize that once the show gets canceled, the phone stop ringing, people stop rocking with you, start, you know, shitting on your name and hating on you and shit and that gets back to you. And, you know, but then we'll try and smile on your face and do the buddy, buddy shit. So for anybody, man, it's like you got to be able to pull yourself out of, out of whatever situation you're in. Like, you know, life's not always going to be perfect. It's not going to be easy. Mm-hmm. You got to just grind. And that's why I really, you know, people call me the king NBA Twitter now. They don't see, you know, that period in like 2017, 2018. I couldn't get a job. Nobody was messing with me. And I'm sitting here, you know, knowing, telling my wife, like, I know I'm talented. And I know I know that I belong in, in a certain position, in a certain place. But it's not working right now. So I'm going to go force my way into it. And it's funny, man, those same people who try to funny style big time, you know, act janky to me when they see the numbers start rolling up or they see LeBron start rocking with it or KD or whoever else is in the game start messing with me and start giving me love and praise. All of a sudden the phone starts ringing again. And, oh, we always believed in you. We knew you could do it. And it's like, man, get the fuck out of here. It gave me a lot of perspective, like who to really rock with, who to really trust and who to really be down with. And I'm down with the people that are down with me. You know what I'm saying? So people see me now and it's like, I don't take anything too serious, man. I just try to have a good time and enjoy life because I've seen both sides of it. And, you know, I've been a happy man. It was, it was funny after that show got canceled, you know, I was super depressed down, ballooned up to like 360, 370 pounds, eating dessert with every meal, just, you know, a worthless piece of shit in, in a lot of regards and, and just, just a terrible human in a lot of regards. But was able to get my life back together, get back on the right track and just grind. And that's the thing now, especially I always try to communicate to people. It's like, you have all the skills and resources necessary. If you've got a phone and an internet connection, you can get on social media, you can build your brand. You can do stuff like you're doing now with the podcast, reach out to people to jump on. And, you know, some people might tell you, no, it might not work out. So fuck them. Just concentrate on the people who are rocking with you, who will do, who will help you get to where you need to get to, but also be a good person, build your network. Don't just build your network trying to use other people for shit. Don't always be the person that's asking for shit. Use, use your network to help elevate. You know, that's the thing with me and my people that I've come up with. They know if it's my boys or, or my homies or people that I've come up and I rock with and they ask me to do some shit and they may not have a budget or a lot of money for it, I'm, I'm going to go do it because I know if I hit them to do the same thing, they're going to do that for me. And then when we get the budgets, we get the bread. They're the first people that are getting that call. Like, yo, you know, I got some bread now. I'm going to make sure you get taken care of. So I really go out of my way to just try to help people out uh, try to get people game. I can't say how many people reach out to me for questions or advice or whatever it may be. I always just try to be a resource and an outlet for them. Cause I know how many people I had in my life who are mentors who, who would always just take the time to help me out as well. So always feel that, that, that need just to give back and, and uplift others, especially people in the black community. Cause I know how hard it is for us in this country, how hard it continues to be. And even looking at situations like George Floyd and you know, I just did a show with with Ava DuVernay and Colin Kaepernick looking at Cap in his experience. Now, Cap is literally blackball from the NFL. We got to watch a bunch of trash ass quarterbacks every week. No business having a job over him simply because he wanted to raise awareness of social injustice and things like that. But this is what really goes on in the world. You know, what I mean, and it just kind of laugh. But you look at John Gruden's emails and, the, and they try to. He was the only one that was sending these emails. And if I worked at NFL Network, I know for a damn fact, all white dudes don't know how to use email like that. They'd be on there talking reckless and spicy, you know, thinking that nobody's ever going to find out about it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Not realizing that this email, you know. But, again, when you got people to have your back and want to make sure that that shit don't come to the light, it won't come to the light. But for, for me, it's just being able to give back, be a resource, an outlet. And I always tell people, stay strong, man. You know, when when you're at your lowest point, you know, when you feel like things can get lower, then all, the only place you can go is up. So, 
start doing it. And even, you know, somebody like yourself doing this, this pause and things like that. You know, I'm sure at one point it was just a dream in your head to, to do this. And now you actually out here really doing it, getting it. And, you know, from episode one <laughs> to 10, you're going you're gonna to get better from episode 10 to 20, 20 to 100. You're going to keep sharpening your skills, developing. And that's the whole thing. Be consistent. The one thing I like to tell people, man, if you quit, nobody's going to give a shit. So you might as well keep going. You know what I mean? Like you quit, you that's can complain it. about it. Your friends and family may give you some sympathy, but they got their own shit to worry about. So nobody's going to sit there and have a pity party for you. So go <laughs> get it. And it's not going to be easy when you get it. You can stun on people, but remain humble. Like like LeBron told Cam Payne during the game, bro, year and a half ago, you're asking sitting at home. So stay humble, okay? Okay? Just, you know. <laughs> I saw that. I saw that. I was like, Cam Payne, I remember you in the summer league a couple years ago, 2019. He didn't even play for Oklahoma yeah. City. Yeah. You know, so, in Vegas, but, I was like, he didn't want even playing, you know, so yeah. Cam got his bag, so I respect that, but just always stay humble, know where you come from, know the people that, that have looked out for you, and go out of your way to support those people. Oh, agreed, much agreed. Like I said, I definitely uh, agree with you 100%. And like I said, I appreciate you coming on the show, man, blessing us with us. I was like, man, I love, you know, like I said, I got mad love for Josiah, and I got mad love for his older brother and his pop, so like, I would actually, I was like, I'd love to get on, you know, like every time I, every time I look on NBA TV, there's something about Josiah Johnson, like, oh, oh some quote he didn't put up. I'm like, he doing his thing, man. He definitely doing his thing. Travis, the feeling is mutual, man. I, I know you, I just remember seeing you in the gyms back in the day as a little kid, but always like, you know, like being a freshman playing varsity at Crenshaw, I don't think people understand that's probably been done like three, four times maybe in history. And, and obviously you at UCLA as well, they're going on to Long Beach State, but was always a big fan of your game. I remember being in the gym as a kid, asked my dad, like, who's that? Like, watching you play, like, who's that? He's like, oh, that's Travis. I'm like, damn, like, he, I mean, he, how are you that young just balling like that, that nice? But, you know, I always had a tremendous respect for you as a person in your game, man, so I'm happy. I know I know it took us a little while to get this thing going, man. You know, I, I kind of kind of was funny styling you a little bit, but just now I was always going to do it, and I was always going to jump on <laughs> Sorry, the schedule got a little hectic, but you know. No, no, it's all good. You come on, you come on before your brother, and I've been with your brother, you know, saying out in high school, college. You know, what I'm so saying? he he, he gonna do it too. So shout out, Chris, just letting you know, your little bro came on before me, before you. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right, Josiah, man. Like I said, I appreciate you uh, coming on. Um, tell, tell tell the world what show you're doing now. What you, you know what what's going on with you now. So you can catch me on the uh, No Chill with Gilbert Arenas podcast, uh, co-hosting with Gil. Gil Gil's a, a true legend, man, so make sure you plug in, tap in with that. We always got great guests and just great basketball conversation. Catch me hosting uh, Out of Pocket uh, with the good folks at Wave TV on their channel at Buckets. So at Buckets on IG and Twitter. Uh, make sure you check out Colin in Black and White coming out Friday, October 29th on Netflix. Uh, definitely peep that six episodes. I was blessed and fortunate to be able to, to write one of those scripts and make sure you support us so we can keep these bags flowing in. And you also catch me on NBA Twitter Live with the folks at Twitter, uh, Twitter, uh, with Twitter and, and Turner Sports. So appreciate everybody. Everybody that comes in is a blessing. I appreciate it. I'm just going to keep grinding, man, and keep trying to be a good example for the next generation. Agreed. Agreed. Like I said, you, you know, I think that you are like a good example. And it's a great example for, you know, uh, like I said, the next generation of college athletes, uh, you know, like just to show you that um, even if you stop in college, you can go into something and be super successful in that way. I think a lot of us, we, 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 we struggle with like the after basketball or after whatever sport ends um, and we're not knowing what the heck we're going to do. You just kind of like, man, I don't know what I'm going to do. 
I remember, <clears throat> excuse me, when I was uh, retired from overseas basketball, I was just like, I got a son. He's three years old. I got to figure out how to feed him. You know, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't want to necessarily coach or train, uh, things like that. But it's so but you already you already know you, when when if times get super tough, you can always get your ass back <laughs> in the gym. Just, and that's the thing as a hooper, you always like, hey, I may not want to do the training, but at the end of the day, if, if push comes to shove, I can get back in the gym and teach the kids how to do the micro drill or whatever. Get, get something, something, right? Something. You know, yeah. If it comes to that, you know what I'm saying? But, uh, you know, luckily it hasn't went to that yet. I, I, I think I'm – I'm more like yourself, you know, like to be like the talking, like getting to know people like on a, this kind of level uh, where it's like a one on one conversation, things like that. I really enjoy like doing that, hearing people's stories, you know, like, it's you know, it's fun to me. But uh, like I said, thank you. Thank you, uh, my bro. I know you busy, super busy. So, like I said, thank you for blessing us for this time. Um, you know, people he, he let you everybody know he actually has a game. In about 10 minutes. So I got to let him go for sure because he's always working, always busy. <laughs> always getting these flares out. But I appreciate you, bro. Thank you so much for having me. Hope I can jump on. So after Chris jumps on, hope you get pops on. Oh, here man. Too. Yeah, that's what I said, man. I, you know, get, get Chris on, get everybody on. Like I said, I love to have everybody on. You know, share, share stories, man. Like I said, I got mad love for you, your brother, and your pops, man. I appreciate you, bro. All right, please. Let me see. Oh, you can cut it out, just like uh, hold on, hold on. Let me make sure.